Hello, I am Matthew Hurst, the worship minister of First Baptist Church, Watauga, and we want to simply say thank you for listening to these messages. We'd like to invite you on Sunday morning at 1045 to join us in worship of God and to hear from His Word. Our mission here at FBC Watauga is to exalt the Savior equip the saints, and to evangelize the lost one person at a time. So I pray as you listen to these messages that you would be encouraged and equipped as you listen to the word of the Lord today. So this isn't the first time that I've found out later on in the week that I was going to be preaching on a Sunday morning. Let me take you back to August 16th, 2018. It was a Thursday night. I was sitting at home and I received uh, somewhat of a strange phone call from Pastor Dennis. Uh, he called me and said, I, I just feel like the Lord doesn't want me to be in the pulpit this Sunday. I can't really explain it. I just feel like I'm not supposed to preach this Sunday, so, so would you preach for me? And I said, well, yeah, of course. If, if the Lord doesn't want you in the pulpit, certainly I'll preach for you. He said, I plan on still being there. I just don't think I'm supposed to preach. And I said, well, you know, you want to be obedient to the Lord, so I will preach for you this Sunday. And so I prepared Friday and Saturday to preach that Sunday. And lo and behold, I wake up on Sunday morning and I had received a text message from Susan, Pastor Dennis's wife, at 5.45 in the morning that said, Dennis is in the ER and he's going to be having surgery to have his appendix taken out today. And in that moment, as I read that text message, two things came to mind. First, Lord, thank you that we have a pastor that listens to your voice and that is obedient to you. And second, Lord, thank you that you are a God big enough to perform miracles. Now, that may or may not seem like a miracle to you, but it certainly was a miracle in my own life. The, the fact that God had spoken to our pastor three days in advance so that he could give me a call, so that I would have advance notice, so that I could be prepared to preach that morning. And, and who gets the glory for, for that? Certainly not me. I couldn't have orchestrated something like that. Not Pastor Dennis. Pastor Dennis could not have orchestrated something like that. But God, God is big enough to orchestrate and to plan something like that, and it is God who receives the glory for it. So we're in a series right now titled Life in Jesus' Name, and as we're walking through this series, we're going through the book of John. And so far as we've walked through the book of John up to this point, we have seen uh, John the Baptist heralding the coming Messiah, pointing to Jesus, saying, it's not me that deserves the glory, it's the one that's coming after me that, that deserves to receive the glory. And then we saw Jesus enter the scene, and as Jesus comes onto the scene, he begins uh, calling out disciples. He begins calling out individuals to follow him. And up through what we've looked at so far, we have yet to see Jesus perform any signs or any miracles, but that's going to change today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12, John chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. And as you're turning there, let me say this. The first sign, this first miracle that we see Jesus perform is Jesus turning water into wine. Now, back when 
uh, Pastor Dennis began this series a few weeks back, he pointed out that the author of the book of John is not John the Baptist, right? And, and I think that this passage, uh, the, this account of Jesus turning water into wine just further confirms that this is not John the Baptist writing it because if John the Baptist were writing it, Jesus would have turned the water into Welch's grape juice because good Baptists don't drink wine. <laughs> Give it up for John, everybody. <laughs> All right, so let's read about Jesus' first sign, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It says, on the third day, a wedding took, took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine, what does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them, so they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first, then after people are drunk, the inferior, but you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they stayed there only a few days. Now, as I joked just a second ago about Baptists not drinking wine, uh, as we walk through this passage, we're not going to spend much time discussing whether or not this passage permits the consumption uh, of alcohol, because honestly, that's not the point of this passage. However... Uh, with the, a passage like this, Pastor Dennis would agree with me on this, I think it makes it very difficult to say that God completely prohibits the drinking of alcohol, All right? However, we do have clear passages throughout Scripture that point, that, that, that make the point that we are to Stay away from drunkenness. Ephesians 5.18 says, And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler. Whoever goes astray because of them is not wise. And in Galatians 5.21, we see drunkenness in a list of many other things that are deemed as the work of the flesh. So while Scripture may not completely forbid the drinking of alcohol. It's certainly safe to say that, that we should take pause while considering its effects before we consume alcohol, especially if we are prone to addictions, to alcoholism, or to drunkenness. So that's all we're gonna say on that issue today because while this passage doesn't really address uh, the, the topic of drinking alcohol, it is filled with much truth about God, the character of God, and how he relates to mankind. Now, you might say that, say that this passage doesn't mention God, but, but understanding 
that Jesus is God, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then the Word became flesh, Jesus. Understanding that Jesus is God, today we're going to look at and discuss four truths about God. So the first thing that we see is God is relational. God is relational. Let's read verses one and two again. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples there, uh, disciples were invited to the wedding as well. Now we're not told who was getting married although we can assume that it was someone that, that was close to Mary and Joseph's family because this wedding is taking place in Cana, which is just a few miles down the road from Nazareth where Jesus grew up. But who's getting married is not really significant. However, I do believe that it is significant that Jesus was present at this wedding. Now, in the context of the world that, that we live in today, when we think of a wedding, we often think of an event that, that's maybe a one-day event. And if you're simply a guest at the wedding, we're talking maybe just a few hours of your time that, that you have to devote to this wedding. And in fact, the, the longest part, if you're a guest at a wedding today, is simply that, that in-between time when, when the ceremony has ended and you've gone to the reception and, and the bridal party is taking pictures and you're just kind of sitting there waiting for someone to say, it's time to eat cake. But man, that joke did not go over very well. It's time to eat cake, guys. <laughs> <laughs> But weddings and the celebration following the wedding in Jesus' time were, were not just short events, right? Because oftentimes people traveled from distant places to, to come to the wedding. And so these celebrations at, of, at the wedding, the wedding celebration would, would typically last up to a week. Now, why is this significant? And how does this show that God is relational? because it means that Jesus took the necessary time to spend with people. Jesus took the necessary time to spend with people. Jesus didn't just give a few hours out of his day to, vote, to, to devote to this wedding. Jesus was there for the celebration. Jesus was there spending time with people. So let me pause and ask you this. Do you realize that the God of this universe wants to spend time with you. Do you realize that the God of this universe wants to spend time with you? Think about that for a moment because I think if we were to truly let this reality sink in that the God of this universe wants to spend time with us, man, this is an overwhelming thought. Unfortunately, I think all too often, we, we allow for this thought that the God of the universe wants to spend time with us. We allow for this thought to just kind of become a stale thought in our hearts and in our minds. We just think, yeah, God wants to spend time with me, no biggie. But wait a minute, the God of the universe, the one who created, created it all, wants to spend time with you and he wants to spend time with me. What an amazing truth to know that God wants to spend time with you and he wants to spend time with me. 
And he doesn't just wanna spend time with us for, for just a couple of hours a week, like the length of a, a wedding ceremony today or, or perhaps the length of a worship service on Sunday morning. But God wants to spend time with you and he wants to spend time with me all week long. So are you allowing for God to spend that time with you throughout the week? And, and are you spending that time with him? So over the course of the last several months, uh, and because of this pandemic, uh, because schools were, were closed down for, for many months, my family was able to wake up later in the morning, which meant I was able to wake up a little bit later in the morning and, and simply spend some time with the Lord alone before, uh, before my children began to get up and come into the room and, and, and take the couch and, and take the TV and begin watching YouTube videos. It, it meant that I was able to just get that alone time with God before I had to start my day. But that all changed this week because uh, school started back up and our children had to begin waking up even earlier in the morning. But I recognize that that time that I'm spending with the Lord is valuable time. This is important time for, for my growth. This is important time for, for me to go deeper in my relationship with the Lord. And so simply because my children are waking up earlier now, it doesn't mean that, that I can't spend time with the Lord anymore. It simply means that if I want to be intentional about spending that time with the Lord, it means that, that I'm just going to wake up a little bit earlier so that I can continue to spend that time with the Lord. If we are going to spend time with the Lord, we have to be intentional about setting that time aside to spend with Him. Because God is relational and he wants to spend that time with you and with me. But I also believe that this detail that, that Jesus is at a wedding where his, where his first miracle, where his first sign is performed so that it would be recorded in scripture, I believe that this detail that he's at this wedding is intentional on God's part. Because throughout the New Testament, Scripture paints a picture for us uh, of this, this image that, that the church is the bride of Christ. And so I believe that it's very intentional on God's part using this setting of this wedding to begin showing us the type of relationship that God desires to have with mankind the type of relationship that Jesus came into this world for. You see, Jesus didn't come into the world so that we could have a casual relationship with him. Jesus didn't come into the world so that we could have an on-again, off-again relationship with him. Jesus didn't come into the world simply so we could see him on the weekends. Jesus came into the world so that he could enter into this covenant, this intimate eternally bonding relationship with mankind through his death on the cross. And so I would pause today and simply ask you just to do a little bit of self-evaluation and ask this question, what type of relationship do you find yourself in with the Lord today? 
What type of relationship do you find yourself in with the Lord today? Is Jesus just someone that you enjoy seeing on the weekends or when he's convenient for you? Are you committed to him in some areas, but other areas you're not so committed? Or have you allowed for Jesus, the God of this universe, who died on the cross for your sins and for mine, have you allowed for him to become what scripture calls your bridegroom? Have you entered into that, that intimate, eternally bonding covenant relationship with Jesus Christ? Jesus was at a wedding, and this shows us that God is relational, and he desires to have that relationship with you. Second, we see God cares about even our small requests. God cares about even our small requests. Let's read verses three and four again. It says, when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What does that have to do with you and me, woman, Jesus asked. God cares about even our small requests. So there's a couple of things that I wanna say about these verses here. First, while this is certainly a, a miracle that Jesus performs by turning the water into wine, in the grand scheme of all the miracles that Jesus is gonna perform while he's here on this earth, in his life and ministry on this earth, in the grand scheme of all the miracles, like, uh, making the blind to see, making the, blind, or making the lame to walk, and even raising Lazarus up from the dead. In the grand scheme of all of Jesus' miracle, this request to deal with a beverage situation at a wedding celebration seems to be like a pretty small request. And yet, this request that, that is made to Jesus we see that, that he responds to this request by turning that water into wine to remedy the situation for this wedding celebration. And, and it reveals that God cares even about the small requests. In fact, I would argue that God's ability to handle both the big requests and the small requests reveals just how big God truly is. Because through the years, I've, I've heard different things said, and, and you've probably heard some of these things said as well. People saying things like, well, God has bigger things to deal with than that. Or, or God has enough on his plate already. Or, or God doesn't care about small things like that. Why not? Why wouldn't God care about even the small details of your life? Why wouldn't God care about even those small requests in your life? Listen, if you believe in a God that doesn't care about even those small details, about the small requests in your life, this isn't an indication about how big God is. It's not an indication of the size of God. It is an indication of the size of your belief in God. Let me say that again. This isn't an indication of the size of God. Rather, it's in, an indication of the size of your belief in God. Mary, the mother of Jesus, who, who made this request, knew exactly who Jesus was. Trust me, she had no doubt who Jesus was. 
She knew that when she got pregnant with Jesus, she was a virgin. She knew that it was only by a miracle of God that she could be pregnant. But furthermore, an angel visited both Mary and Joseph to tell them that she was pregnant with the Messiah, that she was pregnant with Jesus. So Mary knew full well who Jesus was when she made this small request. Mary knew and she went to Jesus with confidence. She went to God in the flesh with confidence and she brought this request to him because she knew, yes, he can handle the big things, but he also cares about even these small things. So let me pause and ask you this. Do you have the confidence, just like Mary, do you have the confidence to go to God with your requests? Do you have the confidence to take all of your burdens, all of your needs, all of your worries and anxieties? Do you have the confidence to take even the small things to the Lord in prayer? I think many times we'll take those big things, we'll take the things like cancer, the things we know we can't handle. We'll take those big things like cancer or like COVID-19. We'll take those to the Lord. I can't deal with that on my own, but I'm gonna keep these smaller things for myself. I'm gonna keep these smaller things that, that I think I can handle on my own. I'm gonna keep them for myself. But understand when we keep even the smallest things to ourselves and we don't take them to the Lord in prayer, we continue to cling to and hold on to our own burdens. I'm reminded of that old hymn titled, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. The second part of the first verse says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We are not just to take the big requests to God. We are to take all of our requests to God, even the small things. And so in verse four, we see Jesus's response to, to this request from Mary. And because of how it's translated into English and also because of how we're conditioned in our culture today, we can easily read Jesus's response to Mary as a rebuke to Mary or, or, or even that it, that it contains uh, a sexist tone, right? We could easily read it as Jesus saying, what does this have to do with you and me, you woman, right? But understand that Jesus was not answering Mary with a rebuke, and he certainly was not answering her with any type of sexist connotation. In fact, the word that is used uh, that, that's translated as woman here is the same word that Jesus, is, that Jesus uses in, in John chapter 19, verses 26 through 27, when, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's being crucified, and he sees his mother and, and the disciple John, he sees them at the foot of the cross, and he looks to his mother and he says, woman, here is your son. And he says to John, here is your mother. The word that he uses here is not a rebuke or a sexist remark. Rather, it's a term of endearment. 
It was an indication that he cared about her request. And just as Jesus cared about her request, this request that some might deem as a small request, just as Jesus cared about her request, Jesus cares about your requests. God cares about your requests, both the big and the small. So we see that God is relational and we see that God desires to have a relationship with both you and me. And we see that God cares about even our small requests so we can take every request to God, both the big and the small. Third, the third thing we see is that God has his own timetable. God has his own timetable. And I would extend this to say that, that God's timetable trumps our own timetable, or God's timetable trumps mankind's timetable. Let's read the second part of verse four again. It says, uh, Jesus is responding to his mother still, and he says, my hour has not yet come. These words that Jesus says here is not an indication that it wasn't time for him to begin performing miracles. If that was the case, if he wasn't supposed to begin performing miracles, he would not have performed this miracle, right? However, it is a beginning indicator that Jesus is gonna give throughout his ministry multiple times that he is operating on God's timetable. We see it again in John 7, 6. Jesus says, my time has not yet come. In John 8, 20, the author John says, his hour had not yet come. So what is he referring to? What is this time or the hour that was coming? Well, we get a little bit of clarity on the matter when we look at John chapter 12, when Jesus pre predicts his crucifixion. Because Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And so he's as he's talking about the hour that has not yet come, the time that has not yet come, and then the hour that has come, he was referring to his crucifixion. He was referring to going to the cross. So understand that as Jesus is going through his ministry and as he's performing these miracles, we don't see Jesus all of a sudden get, get seized and arrested and, and crucified because Jesus was operating on God's timetable. And, and it wasn't until God had set all of the pieces in place it wasn't until God had lined everything up just perfectly in his perfect timing, it wasn't until God was ready that the time was to come because God has his own timetable. So what does that mean for you and for me? It means that God has his own timetable for, for answering our prayers, for answering our requests. As we, as we see Jesus respond to Mary, Jesus responds immediately, remedying the situation immediately, giving her the response. But then when, it, when it's regarding his crucifixion, the hour had not yet come, the time had not yet come come. And so there may be times that you bring your requests to the Lord 
And he may give you an immediate response. You may see God respond to your prayer and your request immediately. But there may be other times that you bring your request to the Lord, and if it's the Lord's will, you may have to wait for that response. It could very well be that God is simply putting all of the pieces in place getting everything ready for you, making sure that everything is exactly where it needs to be so that he can accomplish his will in his perfect timing. Now, this also means that if something is going to happen, it will not happen until God says it will. If something is going to happen, it will not happen until God says it will. That means it doesn't matter what what you or I or, or anyone else says about a matter. It only matters what God says about the matter. So many of you will be familiar with the name Irma Jenkins. But if you're unfamiliar with Irma, Irma was a longtime faithful church member here at First Baptist Watauga. And it was back in the 90s that Irma was diagnosed with cancer, and the doctor said it doesn't look good. You only have a, about two years left to live. That was back in the 90s, right? But Irma continued to live until the Lord took her home in February of 2019. The doctor said you have two years left to live, but God said you have 20 plus years left to live If something is going to happen, it will not happen until God says it will. Now, let me contrast that story with the story about my grandpa, my father's father. My grandpa passed away when uh, he was 87 years old. But just a couple of days before he passed away, he had gone to the doctor just for a routine checkup, and, and the doctor's office gave him a clean bill of health. In fact, the doctor said, you're set to live to 100. And then just a couple of days later, as he was walking through the house, he had a massive heart attack and died immediately. The doctor said, you have at least 13 years left to live, but the Lord said, it's time for you to come home now. If something is going to happen, It will not happen until God says it will. So let me make this very real with what's going on in our world today. Because of this virus, because of the talk of the vaccine, because it's an election year, there just seems to be a lot of fear with with what's going on in, in our nation, with what's going on in our world. And there's just a lot of wondering, is this the beginning of the end? So let me pause and simply give you this encouragement. God is still in control. God is still in control, and God will bring things to a close, and we will see Jesus return when the hour for that to happen has come. Until then, we can rest in this truth that if something is going to happen, it will not happen until God says it it will. And when and only when God says it's time, it will happen. Well, what if that time has come? What if that's where we're at right now? Then we trust God through the midst of all of our circumstances, and we trust that he is in control regardless of what lies ahead, and we prepare for his triumphant return.
Remember, we've read the end of the story. We know God wins. And so we simply continue to trust him. So we see God is relational and he desires a relationship with both you and me. We see that God cares about even our small requests. And so we can take our big requests, we can take our small requests, we can take any requests to the Lord. And we see God has his own timetable and his timetable trumps our own. Finally, this morning, we see that God saved the best for last. God saved the best for last. Let's read verses six through 10 again real quick. It says, now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first, then after people are drunk, the inferior, but you have kept the fine wine until now. God saved the best for last. Now there's much to be said about uh, these verses, but for time's sake, let me choose what I highlight uh, very carefully. So I want you to notice that these jars are typically used for Jewish purification. Why is this significant? Well, journey with me for a moment to the Last Supper or the first Lord's Supper. As Jesus is sitting around the table with the disciples, Jesus breaks the bread, he gives them the bread, and he says, this is my body, which is given for you. Then he takes the cup, which was filled not with water, but with wine, and he gives the wine, and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which was poured out for you. The wine represents Jesus's blood. The wine represents Jesus's sacrifice. So for his first sign, his first miracle, he takes what would be filled with water for Jewish purification, which would have to be continually done year after year. It would never fully cleanse, never fully satisfy. He takes what would be used for, for this Jewish purific purification and he turns it into wine representing his blood which was poured out for you and for me, which unlike the water, has the authority and the power not to cleanse us for a day, not to cleanse us for a week, but to cleanse us for all eternity. And when the head waiter tasted the wine, he said, well, this is unusual. Typically, typically the groom gives out the, the, the good wine first, and then after everyone's drunk, then gives out the, the subpar wine. But you have saved the best wine for last. And let me tell you, church, God saved his best work for last when he sent Jesus Christ to the cross, when his blood was poured out for you and for me. Because while the, the work of turning this water into wine was a great miracle, and, and while the, the work of, of healing the blind, healing the lame, raising Lazarus from the dead, while these were all great miracles, the greatest miracle of all is the miracle that he does in our own hearts 
when he provides salvation for us, when he makes us into a new creation, God saved his best work for last when he sent Jesus to the cross. And God desires for you to know that he saved the best for you. So I'm gonna invite Matthew and the praise team back up here and we're gonna sing a final song. And maybe you're here today and you would say that you've been reminded today just how relational God is. And as you evaluate your own relationship with the Lord, maybe, maybe you see it's not where it needs to be. So today, would you just confess that to the Lord and allow for him to begin working in your heart right where you're at, right where you're at in this room, but right where you're at in your relationship with him. Maybe you're here today and you would say that you've been trusting God with the big things, but you've been clinging to a lot of small things. So today in this moment, as we sing this song, would you just release those small things, confess those small things to the Lord? And instead of being weighed down by all of those small things, would you just give them over to him? Maybe you're here today and you would say that you came in here weighed down and fearful of everything that's going on in the world today. Would you trust in this moment that God has his own timetable, trust that he's in control, and instead of being filled with fear, would you today be filled with his peace? Finally, maybe you're here or maybe you're watching online and you would say you have never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You have never recognized the sin in your life that separates you from God, but today you recognize that and you are ready to turn from your sin, to confess that sin to the Lord, to receive his forgiveness and to receive into your life this greatest work that he saved for last, this greatest work that he saved for you, salvation. If that's you today, then I would encourage you we're not gonna come forward during this time, but I would encourage you, get in touch with us. You can talk to me after the service if you're here in this room, or if you're watching online, you can contact us. Just let us know the decision that you have made so we can get in contact with you, so we can follow up with you. But whatever it is that God is calling you to do in these final moments today, as we sing this last song, simply respond to him obediently. Hey folks, this is Pastor Dennis Hester, and I want to thank you for joining First Baptist Watauga through our podcast and hearing the message today. My prayer is that you are encouraged and uplifted by the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Our goal here is to equip you in your faith and to encourage you as you worship the Lord and seek to serve Him. If you have a question or you have a decision that you'd like to make, I'd encourage you to reach out to us through our website at fbcwatauga.org or simply call the church office. You can find that number or our email addresses there on that website as well. And by doing that, uh, we'd be glad to hear from you and we'd be encouraged about hearing what God's doing in your life. So God bless you and have a great day.